2: And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by Purple, a sleep products company 20 years in the making, dedicated to giving you the best night's sleep of your life. I'll be back after tonight's first story to tell you a little more about Purple. Until then, settle in, get cozy, and prepare to be unsettled. The show's about to begin.
3: (laughs) It's time to turn off the lights
4: and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Darkness.
2: You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three of our very own original tales produced by our in-house writing collective, The Dead Canary, about insidious ink, horrifying hand-me-downs, And the Perils of Astral Projection. I'm Otis Jiry, host of the Scary Stories Told in the Dark podcast, with three seasons of my own available now on iTunes and wherever podcasts can be found. Tonight, I'll be your host as we usher in a new era of horror led by the team responsible for the program formerly known as the Simply Scary Podcast. Joining us tonight... To help bring our frightening fiction to life, are voice actors Jason Hill, Alicia Pavlis, and Kai Kinney. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights. Turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight is brought to us courtesy of our writing collective, The Dead Canary, and is voiced by Jason Hill. In it, our unsuspecting protagonist saves a few dollars when he gets a cheap tattoo at one of the worst-rated parlors in town. But as he may soon discover, the shop holds secrets far more sinister than its poor reputation suggests. Without further ado, I present to you The Hourglass Tattoo
3: My friends and I were always trying to dare each other into doing stupid stuff. Generally, it involved us all getting super drunk and then making suggestions. If we all agreed somebody had to do something, they would have to do it. Or they'd have to drink from the bottle. The bottle was a former bottle of vodka that now contained any sort of nasty, vile fluids that we collected over time. One sip was guaranteed to make anyone hurl. Looking back on it now, my friends and I were dicks. But things definitely would have been better if I had just drank from the bottle that night. The night I'm talking about was the night I was chosen to get a tattoo from the lowest-rated place Yelp had to offer. I never wanted a tattoo. Everyone else in our group had at least one, with Frank covered in the things, but I had always been a holdout. That was why I was chosen. Being super drunk, as I said, I was less willing to say no. It didn't help that I was the last contributor to the bottle, and definitely didn't want my lips anywhere near it. It didn't take long to find a place online. We had never seen a place get so many negative reviews and still be in business, without being a trolling prank, anyways. These looked genuine, ranging from being stabbed with the needles, to getting the wrong tattoo, to getting a staph infection from leaning against a stain on the wall. The guys thought it was perfect for me. I'd never actually been to a business that had its front entrance come in from an alley, but this did. Everyone else waited back at my place while Frank drove me there to make sure I did the deed right. He sat in the lobby with me until I was called back behind a yellow curtain. The guy doing my tattoo looked like an ex-biker who had recently gotten into voodoo. He wore a bandana on his head, probably to hide the fact that he was going bald, most likely a killing joke jean jacket, the band, not the Batman story, and had a beard long enough to hide gravy stains in his belt buckle. On the shelf behind him were a collection of painted skulls, those Calavera ones from the day of the Dent festivals, and vials filled with used needles, fresh needles, and at least a few shrunken heads. I hoped they were fakes, but they were really leathery, looking he looked me over and then pointed to a binder full of designs to pick from i flipped through them looking for anything unusual enough that i'd never seen it on anyone before but not so lame that i'd regret my decision in the morning though i was still drunk enough that i'd probably regret anything at this point i finally found one towards the middle an hourglass A real goth-looking hourglass with spiderwebs and curled pointy edges, very Tim Burton-looking. I gave it to the guy, pointed to the back of my neck, right where a nice business shirt would cover it up, and prepared myself. It took three hours. It shouldn't have taken three hours for something as small as I got, but it did. Every second the needle was running hurt, and hurt bad. But after sweating, swearing and plotting revenge on all of my friends, one by one, he said it was done. I thanked him, paid him, though the tip was certainly smaller than he probably expected, and went to go see Frank. Frank, mad that he'd waited for so long, asked to see it on the way back to the car. I pulled back my shirt and angled my neck. So, what do you think? He looked at it. Christ, dude, I knew it had to be big, but... Wow, that's a commitment. I can't believe you get something that disgusting and... Realistic looking. Disgusting. Realistic. Maybe he'd had more to drink in the lobby. It was a stupid hourglass. Realistic I could buy, but... Disgusting? We got in his car and started driving back. With my neck itching, I asked if he had a mirror in the car so I could get a look at it, maybe even rub some of that greasy lotion the artist gave me to keep it from drying out. He said there might be a single mirror or something in the glove compartment. I checked, and he was right. I raised it up to look at my hourglass. It was dark in Frank's car, but even I could tell something was wrong. My hourglass, which had looked fine when I was in the tattoo parlor, wasn't an hourglass anymore. It couldn't have been. It was too big. It stretched across my neck completely. I would have never gotten a tattoo like that. But there it was. And I could see why Frank said it was disgusting. It was a car wreck. A truly disturbing one with twisted metal and a corpse hanging out of the windshield. Blood and glass everywhere... What in the hell was I looking at? Frank must have noticed my look of surprise. What, did the guy give you the wrong one? I guess that's why they're so low-rated. You really got to be careful. I almost had the same thing happen to me on the one on my forearm here. You know, that guy I thought I wanted a Garfield and not a snow leopard. I would have been embarrassed. I never heard him finish. He was cut off by a loud roar as something smashed into the car. I felt it spin through the air, but I remembered nothing else before waking up on the road. It can't have been a long time because there were no emergency vehicles around, but I stood up with only a dull pain in my arm and the only injury I could feel. I was lucky, considering I had been wearing my seatbelt and yet had still been thrown from the car. Frank wasn't so lucky. The car lay in a puddle of leaking fluids, and when I came closer, I saw he was hanging out at the driver's side window. He was shredded by glass and not moving. The way he was hanging looked familiar, and the longer I looked at his ruined body, the more I realized what I was looking at. The tattoo on my neck, the wreck, looked just like The tattoo. I was checked by the emergency personnel who arrived who confirmed that I had bruised my arm and gotten a few superficial cuts. Frank had been killed on impact. The truck driver who had hit us had fled the scene and was caught a little ways up the road. Thing is, if he had stayed, he wouldn't have been at fault. Frank had run a stop sign. I didn't talk to anybody for a while. I wasn't sure if I was just in mourning or if I was still scared about my tattoo. Since the night of the accident, it was clearly back to being an hourglass. I couldn't be sure, but I thought there was more sand in the bottom than there had been when it was first done. The night of Frank's funeral, a closed casket, obviously... The guys and I got together to have some drinks in his honor at a local microbrew. Eric was the first to remember that I had gotten the tattoo and wanted to see it. I let him, but I was reluctant. Dude, sick! What the hell? Who'd even let you get that? My stomach twisted. I had to see what he had seen. I excused myself and went to the bathroom. I still had the mirror from Frank's car. It had survived the crash and I held on to it just in case. Looking in both mirrors, I saw the tattoo had changed again. It showed a man whose head had been smashed to a pulp, but the body was still holding a glass raised in toast. I ran back out to the group and told them maybe we should go on home and meet back up tomorrow. They all agreed, except Eric, who said he'd call for an Uber or something, that he wanted a couple more drinks. I thought maybe that if I left, he'd be okay. Maybe if my neck was cursed or something, it would leave him alone if I got as far away as I could. I went to sleep. The next morning, I got a frantic call from Jeff. It was Eric. He had gone missing. A few hours later, Jeff called again. Eric was dead. He had apparently gotten blind stinking drunk and started getting loud and screaming that he wanted to fight someone. He got kicked out and he thought it would be a great idea to walk home by himself. He passed out on the railroad tracks. The train hit his head and never even slowed down. They found him early in the morning, but it took a while to find out because they needed fingerprints to identify him. I checked my tattoo Hourglass again More sand was definitely in the bottom than there was before I went back to the tattoo parlor and asked about the guy who gave it to me I found out he'd been fired Turns out he falsified his application form The name and address he gave weren't his He had taken his stuff and left before anyone could call the police No one knew who he really was After Eric's funeral, I didn't go out drinking. I stayed at home. I found myself watching the tattoo. It was the only thing I could do. It was a mistake to be alone, though. My remaining friends decided to check in on me and make sure everything was okay. Jeff brought the bottle with him. Not to drink from, but just to remember better times. And then he made a comment asking if i had got the tattoo worked on because he didn't remember it being big enough to see over the top of my shirt no i wouldn't let it hurt anyone else i would stop it it was the stupidest thing i'd ever done without being drunk i grabbed at the bottle and smashed it on the table everyone shouted as i ran out of the room and up to the bathroom where the mirrors were still set up where i watched every day to see what the shape of the tattoo would take next I saw it was no longer the hourglass, but didn't look at what it was now. I locked the bathroom door, held tight to the gooey, liquid-coated edge of the bottle's neck, and started cutting. It hurt, it hurt so bad, but it had to go. I vaguely remember the door busting open and someone calling an ambulance, going to the hospital. I did live, as I'm writing this now. One skin graft and many psych evaluations later, I was discharged. So far, nothing more has happened, but I'm still afraid. You see, nobody found the piece of skin I had cut off. I had stared at it, long and hard, before my friends broke down the door... I'd thrown it into a drawer and hid it. When I came home... I found it. It was the hourglass again. But even on that now dead tissue... It still changes. I think. I swear more sand is still falling through the hourglass even without it being attached to me. There's only a few grains left. Which means now I look for it to change, to go back to the image that I'd seen that night, the image that I now realize nobody ever saw but me. Jeff never got a good look at it. It means that was my fate, and with the grains left in the hourglass, it'll be any day now. On that piece of severed skin that night was an image of a man. A flayed, skinless man. He sits in a puddle of his own blood, holding strips of his own skin and a knife. The strips are all covered in tattoos, and he's laughing.
2: I hope you enjoyed the hourglass tattoo. Up next, we've got another terrifying tale for you from the Dead Canary... ...about the dark side of the New Age. But first, I'd like to tell you a bit more about today's sponsor, Purple. Now, now, I know that here at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights... ...our job is to keep you up all night. Not help you get a good night's sleep. But spooky tales are only in good fun until you realize you've got to be up in a few hours and can't get a wink of sleep on account of a sore back or insomnia or a myriad of other sleep-related issues. Me? Believe it or not, I often have a hard time falling asleep at night or staying asleep. I frequently wake up feeling stiff in the morning or with pain in my neck and back. Either that or I'm always waking up hot and sweaty at night. But that all changed when I got a purple mattress. Let me tell you, this thing is incredible. It's so comfortable, there's no comparison to my old mattress that I got from my local shop. None. The purple mattress, first of all, it stays nice and cool at night, unlike any I've ever known. My new mattress is different than anything I've ever felt before. And I never wake up in pain anymore. In fact, I've been getting the best sleep I've ever had. And I owe it all to Purple, the folks who have made helping folks like you and I get the best night's sleep of our lives, every night, for over 20 years. If, like me, you've been struggling to get a good night's sleep too, you've got to try a Purple mattress. You can literally feel the amount of effort and time put into this product. The two brothers behind this life-changing mattress aren't your regular Joes. They've been developing cushioning tech for almost 30 years on things like medical beds and wheelchairs. In 2016, they created Purple, the world's most scientific mattress, to use their technology for the benefit of everyone. Now, you might be saying, Otis, this sounds great, but what exactly makes Purple different from other mattresses? I hear ads from mattresses all the time, What difference could there really be? Well, I'll tell you. First, Purple Mattress will probably feel different than anything you've ever experienced because it uses this brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist. It's not like the memory foam you or I got used to. The Purple material, folks, feel very unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time so it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool. And that's been important to me over the years, whether I was in the sweltering summer nights of Baton Rouge, or where I am now in the Pacific Northwest. Best of all, my purple mattress gives me what I can only describe as a zero-gravity-like feel, so it works for any sleeping position. It's nice to get the support I finally needed after all these years. I just wish I had discovered Purple sooner. And you too can get your very own Purple mattress and start sleeping better this week with their 100-night risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund. All of Purple's products are backed by a 10-year warranty, and for those of us who are working on a budget, You'll be happy to hear they offer both free shipping and returns. Not only that, but in-home setup and removal of your old mattress is included 100% free. You're going to love purple. And right now, our listeners will get a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Just text CTDN 888 The only way to get this free pillow is to text CTDN to 84-888. That's C T D N to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. Now that we've shared with you the secret of getting a good night's sleep, allow me to contribute to the sort of insomnia no mattress can fix with another scintillating tale. Our second tale tonight is performed by Alicia Pavlis and follows the story of a young woman whose mysterious new friend, and maybe more, shows her how to astral project. When she gets far more than she bargained for on the other side, she begins looking for answers. The question is... Will what she learns about her new bow and her new abilities be a relief or a curse? Find out next as we present to you by A Silver Thread.
4: When I first saw Aaron, he was lying on the floor of the Thompson's bedroom, still as death. Are you okay? I prodded him with my toe. Then I crouched down and shook him like mad, until his eyes fluttered open. Don't do that! He yelled in my face. His breaths were panicked and fast, as if he'd just come up from underwater. A rustling noise came from the other side of the room, and I noticed there were several other people sprawled out across the floor. Sorry... I said, I thought you were passed out. No, I was sleeping. Everyone else is out there drinking and dancing, and you're sleeping? Not sleeping, one of the girls piped up. Astral projecting. Seriously? I'd heard the stories. I didn't believe them, of course, but I'd heard them. In the past several months all kinds of wild stories had popped up especially on internet forums and amateur websites some of the stories were wonderful like the girl suffering from macular degeneration who said it let her see for the first time in years others were terrifying like the teenage girl who realized one of her classmates was using it to spy on the girl's locker room others were just confusing like the woman who preferred astral plane to real life now her family waits by her bedside watching her comatose body waiting for her to come back home does it work? I asked yeah and it's wonderful Aaron said his ocean blue eyes met mine and he smiled you should join us No thanks. It's far better than dancing to crappy music and drinking cheap beer. I wasn't drinking. I was talking to people. Well, this is much better than talking to people. You'll soar among the clouds, see the stars up close, swim in the ocean without ever coming up for air. It's the best thing in the world. Aaron's voice rippled with excitement as he talked. For a moment, I was tempted to just lie down on the filthy carpet with him and try it out for myself. But I couldn't. Maybe some other time, I told him. I left the bedroom. As I walked down the hall, though, footsteps sounded behind me. I turned to see Aaron following. What are you doing? He shot me another hypnotizing smile. I changed my mind. There is something better than astral projection. What? You. I laughed. <laughs> nice pickup line there. Come on, you liked it. He shot me a wink. I'm Aaron. Billy. We took a seat in the corner of the room. Away from the thrashing mass of teenagers in the center. Do you go to Glenmont High? I haven't seen you around before, I said, over the music. I'm new. My family just moved here from Pennsylvania. Oh, do you like it here? Yeah, I... A scream rang out, above the music. Then a girl broke through the crowd, face red, eyes wet with tears. He won't wake up, she screamed won't wake up Aaron leapt up and ran back to the bedroom I followed several people crowded around a still form on the floor Aaron pushed through them Eric can you hear me he shouted shaking him Eric hey come on he didn't respond Aaron thrust a hand under his back in one quick strong motion he pushed him up Eric's eyes shot open. He began to cough. He's okay. He's okay. Eric began to cough. Aaron smacked him on the back. That's it, Eric. You're okay. My pounding heart filled with admiration. Aaron wasn't just handsome and kind. He was a hero. The next few weeks were a blur... Aaron texted me every day and we often stayed up until the wee hours chatting. He'd tell me about his experiences traveling, his excitement at us being together. My brother Finnis didn't approve. He and Aaron were both seniors. He's too old for you, Finnis would say. He's kind of weird, hangs out with that astrological spiritual crowd. I didn't see him like that. I was falling in love. We'd been dating for almost a month when Aaron brought up astral projection again. So I don't want to pressure you or anything, but I was wondering if you'd project with me. I turned to him, frowning. I don't know, Aaron. It seems dangerous. After what happened to Eric, that was his fault. He didn't have a partner. You always project with a partner, in case something goes wrong. I don't know, Aaron. It's not really my thing. But you've never tried it. His blue eyes took on that faraway look. The same look I'd seen when he was driving me home that very first night. Come on, Billy. It'll be romantic. We'll soar him on the clouds together. But... Just last week, some woman projected for several hours, and some people are saying that she isn't the same, like she's possessed or something. That's like one out of thousands. Besides, you've got someone with tons of experience to pull you back if anything goes wrong. He looked into my eyes again. Please. It would mean so much to me. I sighed. Okay. Okay. Okay, I'll try it. He grinned. Gently holding my hand, he guided me into the bedroom. Go ahead and lie down on the bed, on your back. I quirked an eyebrow at him. You better not be trying anything. He laughed and lay down next to me. Just a few things to remember. Before we start, first don't lose sight of me, okay? I'll be keeping you safe. Second, if anything looks off, don't approach it. There are things in the astral plane that you don't want to interact with. Third, we can't stay longer than an hour. The longer you stay, the harder it is to come back. That's not encouraging. He turned to me. Blue eyes locked on mine. I will be with you every step of the way, Billy. You're going to be fine, okay? Okay. Now, close your eyes and relax. Fade out all of the sounds and sights around you. If you feel a heavy, tingling feeling as if you're falling asleep, that's when you want to act. Imagine you're being pulled out of your body by a rope, or climbing up a ladder. This is so weird. Just try it." I closed my eyes and tried to relax. Within 10 minutes I felt the heavy, tingling feeling that he described. I imagined a sort of endless ladder sticking out of my abdomen, and then me climbing up it out of my body. A pop filled my ears, and then I was staring down at myself. Holy crap, I said, but it came out as more of an ethereal echo, vibrating through space itself. Can't believe you did it on your first try. I turned to see Aaron hovering beside me. He looked the same, except his clothes and body were washed in neon, as if he were standing under a blacklight. When he smiled, his teeth glowed brightly. Are you ready? I guess. He took my hand and pulled. We soared right up through the roof, higher and higher into the sky, until the town below shrunk to tiny pinpricks of light. Watch for your tether. I looked down to see a white string coming out of my chest. It extended down into the darkness far below, like some sort of ghostly umbilical cord. What is that? The thing that tethers you to your body. But you don't have one. With enough practice, you don't need one. You just snip it off. He reached for my hand again, and tugged. Come on, let's go. I didn't reply. Something had caught my eye. An orange light in the distance, shimmering and "'flickering between the mountains. "'What's that?' "'What's what?' Aaron asked, scanning the landscape. "'The light.' "'As I spoke, it started to grow. "'A glint turned into a flame. "'A flame grew into a river of orange. "'It bled toward the town at frightening speed. "'Puffs of black smoke clouded the sky, blocking out the moon.' "'Erin, is that fire?' He didn't reply. He just stared at me with those ocean blue eyes. The orange reached the first few houses at the edge of town. As soon as it touched them, they burst into flame. Then it spread further into town, pooling in the roads and crevices. As soon as it came into contact with a house, it, it just burst. It burst into flames. Then came the screams. Horrible, shrill screams of pain rising up from the town like a chorus Aaron Aaron I yelled over the sound please do something then I was falling fast and hard yanked forward by the cord in my chest the cold air quickly warmed as I neared the town the orange light licked my face I closed my eyes my scream joined the others thump my eyes flew open "'Aaron, we have to get out of here! The fire! The fire!' "'Billy... "'It's okay.' "'He wrapped his arms around me. "'The window outside was dark and cold. "'Not a single flicker of light. "'But the fire... "'Just your imagination.' "'He pulled away from me. "'Ranny's hand through my hair. "'Sometimes if you're not totally relaxed, "'if you're stressed or distracted... Your own thoughts can pollute the experience. Especially the first few times. Why didn't you tell me that? I didn't want to scare you. I thought maybe... Maybe I'd say no. He sighed. I just wanted to have fun with you, Billy. I grabbed my things and stormed out. Then I went to sleep, fuming mad. We spent a few days in silence... No texts, no calls, no emails. Finally, I broke down and drove to his place. After five minutes of knocking, he opened the door. Billy. As soon as he saw me, those ocean blue eyes lit up as if the sun was hitting the water. I'm so sorry. He pulled me into a hug. The two of us stood there on his doorstep, hugging each other like we were afraid the other might slip away at any moment. I love you, Billy. I love you too, Aaron. For the next few months, our relationship was incredible. We spent our days exploring town and our nights looking up at the stars in Groveland Park. It was on one of those nights, around 1am, that astral projection came up again. We should be getting back, shouldn't we? You go on ahead, Aaron said stretching out on the blanket. I'm going to sleep out here tonight. I want to astral project again, see the stars up close. Okay, good night. I started across the grass. The park was so quiet, so empty at this time of night. I thought of my bed, too. Empty at home, without Aaron. I turned around. Actually... I'll stay here with you. His eyes lit up. Really? I want to see the stars with you. I took a deep breath and squeezed his hand. I'll try it just this one more time for you. We lay back in the grass. The sky hung over us, scattered with stars. Aaron reached for my hand, and we closed our eyes. It came quicker this time, the tingling, the heavy feeling. It all came on within minutes. I felt my spirit healing off my body, lifting out of the ground. Then I was hanging in the night air, looking down at our bodies below. Wow, that was quick, Aaron said. Practice makes perfect, I guess. The park shrunk away as the two of us soared up towards the stars. There's so much more beautiful up here, see? But I wasn't looking at the stars. I was looking down at the forest. Something was wrong. The trees were shaking, swaying, knocking into each other. A few toppled to the ground. What's What's happening down there? I don't know. The trees roiled and quaked, as if something immense was passing through. Is something in there? I asked. Crack! An immense shadow stepped out of the forest, thick and tusked like an elephant, lithe and graceful like a jaguar. It crossed over the park in quick, rapid strides. The earth shook underneath its feet. Aaron, what is that? Crack! Crack! The field tore open under its feet. Grass gave way to a fissure of rock, dirt, and darkness, just several feet from where our bodies were. The figure had stopped in the middle of the park, sniffing the air. ''We have to get back, Aaron. We we have to!'' I stopped. Aaron was hovering a few feet below me, holding my tether in one hand, and a knife in the other. ''What are you doing?'' But I was too late. The knife touched the tether. Immediately, a shockwave of pain rippled through my body. I yanked away from him, but he held fast to it. I snapped back as if on a leash. Aaron! I want you to be here with me forever. He slashed at the tether again. I screamed in pain. Crack, crack, more fissures erupted underneath me. The whole world shook. Another sharp pain stung in my chest. And then I was floating, drifting away as if as if blown by some invisible current. Aaron, Aaron, help! I screamed, and the world started to blur and shift. My tether was gone. I looked around wildly at the shaking, splitting ground at the swaying trees. Where Where is my body? Where is it? There, a speck of white among the dark grass. I forced myself to fall towards it. With every fiber of my being, I concentrated on that speck of white among the blurry, shaky landscape. The current tugged at me, trying to pull me away. I wouldn't let it. With a pop, I opened my eyes. The sky lay above me. The earth no longer shook. I scrambled up. A hand grabbed my ankle hard and yanked me back. Aaron, what are you doing? Let me go. He didn't reply. He just stared at me, his ocean blue eyes burning with anger. I yanked as hard as I could. Then I ran. I sprinted through the park, past the trees to the car. Aaron's footsteps thundered behind me. I yanked the door open and dove inside. I pressed the locks just as Aaron's hand hit the handle. Let me in, Billy. No, I sobbed. You were—you were trying to hurt me. Why, Aaron? Why? Come on, Billy. You're scaring me. I said through the glass. Please, just—just just go. I just—I just wanted us to be together. Why did I see those horrible things? In the monster, the, the cracks in the earth, the fire. It's the future, Billy. He sighed, as if what he was saying truly pained him. Humanity has sinned against the Earth far too much, for far too long. We break through the gates, cleanse the Earth, and start it anew. We? Who's we? Us, on the astral plane. You aren't making any sense. Didn't you ever wonder why I don't have a tether? The pieces slowly fit together in my mind. No. You're, no, no. You're you're possessing Aaron? I filled with anger. Get out of his body. He's mine. You can't take him away from me. I pounded the glass and screamed. No, I am Aaron. But this body, it belongs to some guy in Nevada named Derek. My heart plummeted. What? Don't worry. You, Billy, don't have to suffer like the rest, you're one of the good ones. We'll stay in the astral plane while the rest of the world burns i i just I just want to go home. His expression turned angry again. Home, what's there for you at home? Your brother, your parents? I nodded, then I'll bring them with us. What no Aaron? He took off across the park. He lay down in the center of the lawn, on the rumpled blanket where we had held hands just an hour before. I leapt out of the car and ran. I didn't stop until I was standing in front of my house, weak and breathless. I ran in the door and ran up the stairs. "'Mom! Dad! Finnis!' I shouted. I ran into the master bedroom first. Mom and Dad lay on the bed, silent and still. "'Mom!' I yelled. I grabbed her shoulders and shook her. "'Mom, please! Wake up!' Nothing. Dad? I ran out of the room. Finnis! Finnis! I shouted as I ran down the hall. Finnis lay in bed. His body jerked and twitched wildly. Finnis! I grabbed him by the shoulders and shook him. Finnis, please, wake up! He fell still. Then he rubbed his eyes. Billy? Oh, thank God. Finnis! We need to get help. Mom and Dad won't wake up. We need to get them out of here before. I stopped. His eyes had fluttered open, and they were a bright ocean blue. Hello again, Billy.
2: I hope you enjoyed By a Silver Thread. Up next, we travel from the realms of the astral back to the darkest corners of a trailer park with a tale performed by Kai Kinney. In it, one unfortunate family learns the hard way that one man's junk isn't always another man's treasure. Sometimes it's better off left alone. Without further ado, I present to you Trailer.
6: My family has never been high class. My dad is a drunk, constantly out of work, and he yells more than he talks. My mom yells back just as much, but at least she doesn't drink. She takes her anger out on the rest of us by cooking terribly. My older brother has been in juvie three times, and the way he keeps at it, he's going to the real thing the next time he gets in trouble. We all live cramped together in a five-room trailer that sits in an old poorly maintained lot near the outskirts of town. People have complained for years that it's an eyesore, but because my great grandfather actually purchased the land outright, there's nothing they can do to get rid of us directly. So the town tries to make our lives miserable whenever they legally can, be it through bullying at school or by making us unwelcome at nearly every store in town, except the liquor store. They love my dad there. It's a crappy life. But it's all gotten so much worse since Dad found that thing on the side of the road. You see, my dad loves to collect stuff on trash day, so he can sell it to the dump and get a couple bucks for it. It was early in the morning, just before sunrise, when he found the mannequin that he thought might have some value. It wasn't in anyone's trash pile, it was just sitting there in the dark. He loaded it into the truck and drove it home. It was definitely shaped like a mannequin, but unlike any I'd ever seen. It was strange and oddly proportioned, like the odd monuments you see sometimes at carnivals. It was completely black, with fake mop-like hair that hung over its face. A face that had no eyes, but a huge painted grin. I don't even know why my dad thought picking it up off the road was a good idea, but he loved it. That I know. He even reconsidered selling it, thinking it might be worth keeping after all. He set it in a back room that we normally used for storage, and for a few days he left it there to sit. It wasn't long before he decided to tinker with it, and in doing so he discovered a wind-up key in its back. He turned it, and the thing actually began to move. The arms flailed, and the legs moved back and forth, and the mouth opened and closed. And then it spoke. I'm hungry. Feed me. It said this in a thin, unpleasant voice, which sounded like it had been filtered through an old vinyl record player or an antique music box. To my surprise, my dad thought it was great and kept on messing with it, but it only ever said that one thing. That is until the night I woke up to my dad screaming. I ran into my parents' room, and even though I could smell the alcohol in the air, I knew my dad wasn't drunk enough to ignore the figure standing next to his bed, crying out, I'm hungry, feed me. Feed, feed you what? My dad asked. He had the covers pulled up just below his chin, just like I should have been doing at that very moment the thing croaked no one had turned the little key it was doing things all on its own instinctually my dad grabbed the thing and tossed it back in the storage room and locked it shut but he could still hear its reedy voice calling for its meal insisting on meat my mom went to the store the next morning and bought some ground beef only unlocking the door long enough to throw it in not even looking to see what the figure was doing. We heard movement inside, followed by more demands.
2: Not raw,
6: it cried. Cooked. My mom bought more meat at the store, as she had no intention of going back inside that room to retrieve the leftovers. She fried it up and threw it into the room. We heard more noise. For a day or two afterwards, we retreated to silence. Then it spoke again. This time, its voice seemed louder, more forceful. Cooked, not fresh. My dad, not really knowing what to do with it now, shouted back. You have rotten meat in there, eat it! But it wouldn't take no for an answer. It trotted back and forth across the floor, stomping like a horse on its back legs, banging on the walls until my dad relented and opened the door. He found the figure hunched, crouched and unmoving upon the floor, like a dog waiting for a treat. The room stunk from the beef my mom had thrown in there. My dad scraped it up, gave it to her to prepare, which smelled even worse, and heaved it back into the room. None of us slept during the time it was quiet. My grades in school began to suffer. My brother became restless and my parents took it worst of all. They started talking about it, wondering how it worked, why it worked, what made such a thing possible. They started to believe that maybe it was magic, or possibly even divine. My dad drank even more heavily than usual. When it spoke again... It was even more well-pronounced, its voice far more natural-sounding. Meat cooked. Not
3: fresh. Not animal.
6: Not animal. I was in bed when I'd heard what it said, and I refused to set foot outside of it. My dad, on the other hand, did something I certainly did not expect. He grabbed a shovel and stepped outside the trailer. I heard the truck reverse down the driveway, back into the road, and pull away. While he was gone, the mannequin-like thing began galloping in earnest once more, its heavy feet thundering across the vinyl floor. Back and forth. Back and forth. Not only that, but it had now added short, shrill, toddler-like screams to its list of unsettling activities. My dad returned hours later, covered in dirt. He asked my mom to help him with something outside. I finally got up the nerve to watch them unload something wrapped in a tarp from the truck. I stayed in my room, watching from the window. I heard a thumping outside, like when my dad occasionally chopped wood. Then the door of the trailer opened, and a gag-inducing stench wafted in. Then I heard my mom turn on the stove. I didn't want to know what was happening even though I knew deep down what my dad had done. I didn't sleep, I think I fainted. I woke the next morning to absolute bedlam. I came to my door to see my brother in handcuffs being led out to a police car by two officers. My dad was yelling at him, wondering how he could have done such a horrible thing. They had pinned everything on my brother this would be the last straw it had to be i was certain of it but when i saw the car pulling away there my brother was in the back smiling broadly i then realized he gave himself up anything to get out of that house and he had left me to fend for myself my mom and dad came back to me hugging me but not very warmly. They told me everything was going to be alright, that my brother was going away for a long time, and that I was going to stay here with them. I couldn't possibly want to leave them all alone, right? Well, did I? If I did, they said, I would surely be the most ungrateful little boy. I never returned to school. My parents had suddenly decided that I didn't need to go. School was where rumors got started, they said, and rumors had to be contained, not spread. That is, until the world was ready to know the truth, anyway. That was how they referred to it. The truth. I could practically hear them capitalizing the word when they spoke. And then, it spoke once again. Louder, still. Approaching a roar, Meat. Fresh. Not animal. My bedroom door opened. My dad ran in and held me down, while my mother hovered close by, a cleaver at the ready. There was nothing left of the people I knew in their eyes. Only sleep deprived insanity. What they didn't know was that I had taken precautions. My brother had more than one switchblade in his collection, and my dad didn't notice that I had acquired one of them until the moment I buried it into his wrist. While he grabbed it, I dove under my mom's legs and clambered out of my room. I ran to the door of the trailer, but my dad grabbed me again, holding me tightly. Meat. Meat. The door to the storage room began to buckle as the atrocity opposite it pounded with all its strength. At the top of my lungs, I shouted, They have it! I heard the door burst open. I heard a roar. I heard my mom scream, my dad let go, and I dashed from the trailer. I sprinted as fast as I could into the woods and into town and never looked back. I ran until I arrived, breathless, at the police station and told them all that I could without sounding crazy. They wrapped a blanket around me, made me a cup of hot chocolate, and treated me more kindly than I'd ever been treated by my own parents. An officer returned from the trailer two hours later. At first, he had found it deserted, or so he thought. What he did find, it turned out, was a sticky mess in the storage room, and something boiling in a pot on the stove it looked like a hunk of meat but he needed someone to come identify it since it didn't look like any meat he had ever seen of the ravenous monstrosity my father had made the mistake of bringing into our home there was no sign at all and i pray it stays that way
2: I hope you enjoyed trailer. As a reminder, all of tonight's stories were written exclusively by and for our program by the members of our anonymous writing collective, The Dead Canary. If you or anyone else would be interested in writing for our show, contact director Craig Groshek tonight via email at craig at com and let them know you heard about the project on our podcast. Include your contact information and some samples of your writing, and we'll get back to you soon with info about how you can contribute to the show. If you've enjoyed what you heard tonight, we'd like to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave a five-star review and a kind word, and to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsor, Purple, for their support of this show. Don't forget, as a listener, you'll get a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress if you order now just text CTDN to 84888 the only way to get this free pillow is to text CTDN to 84888 that's CTDN to 84888 message and data rates may apply I'm your host, Otis Jiry. Join us again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Sweet dreams, listeners. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn about more of our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Otis Gyrie. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groscher. If you're looking for some fresh tales while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, Otis Jiry's Horror Storytime, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Or search for my podcast, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, where I perform four brand-new tales every episode. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like to perform? We take submissions. Email us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tone considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for ctfdn as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week and don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing with a kind word or a request and don't forget to visit us at chillingtalesfordarknights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron in addition to helping us out you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>